This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from Priscilla Oliveris, Island Affair. Welcome to Key West. When her flaky boyfriend ditches on her family's vacation, a social media influencer recruits a Cuban firefighter paramedic to play her fake fiancé so she can maintain the image of her picture-perfect life. Sarah Vance, in recovery from an eating disorder, is coming into her own with a potential career expansion on the horizon. Despite the good news, her successful siblings and their perfect spouses have a way of making her feel like the odd one out. So Sarah recruits Louise Navarro to play the part of her smitten fiancé. Louise's big Cuban familia has been in Key West for generations, and his quiet strength feeds off the island's laid-back style. Though guarded after a deep betrayal, he'll always help someone in need, especially a spunky beauty with a surprising knowledge of Spanish curse words. Soon, he and Sarah have memorized their How We Met story and are immersed in family dinners, bike tours, private snorkeling trips, sharing secrets, and slow melting kisses. But when it's time for Sarah to return home, will their island romance last or fade with a stunning sunset? USA Today bestselling author Priscilla Oliveris launches a new series set in Key West filled with humor, Latinx culture, and fun family dynamics perfect for summer beach reading. You can find Island Affair by Priscilla Oliveris wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Hello, and thanks for listening to Shelf Love. Welcome to the Decameron Quarantine Romance Book Club. This is part six of a 10-episode miniseries of short, casual conversations with romance experts who are here to spread the joy of romance novels so that we can all stay home and not spread the coronavirus. I'm Andrea Martucci, host of the Shelf Love Podcast, and tonight I am joined by Rebecca Weatherspoon, multi-award-winning romance author, Felicia Grossman, author of Historical Romance, a musical theater nerd and a Claire enthusiast, and Katrina Jackson, a history professor and author of Erotica and Erotic Romances featuring diverse characters. Tonight's theme is religion. So let's start with Rebecca. What romance novel worth reading did you want to talk about that explores religion? So this is more religion adjacent, but even in reading the dedication and the author's note, I really felt kind of a kindred pull to the heroine and the author of this book. The book I'm talking about is The Duchess Deal by Tessa Dare. In this book, Emma, the main character, she's a seamstress and she's kind of struck out on her own doing the best she can. She's a real woman of the 1890s. Um, <laughs> but she has a dark backstory in that she's been disowned by her father, who's a vicar. Tessa is a preacher's kid, and I am also a preacher's kid. And seeing that in the author's note in the dedication, it really painted the overall tone of the story for me. Being raised in the church and being raised by someone who is an authority in the church really does color your life. So watching... Emma tried to continuously accept herself without the approval of her own father and her, without the approval of the church, even though she hasn't really done anything wrong, really made the romance that much sweeter. I love it. And I know I've read this one because I remember there's like a sex scene on top of some fabric at some point, right? Yeah, she's a scene. There's a lot of like clothing related sex scenes. <laughs> yes. What was it that did her father shame her for something? I didn't like go back and reread the book this afternoon. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, I'm putting on and the I spot. I have like, with cheese memory, but it, it's along the lines of like innocent interactions with the opposite sex, and then all of a sudden she's like a pariah. 
Mm. Um, and I think obviously that is something that unfortunately still happens today, but I feel like having someone who is a vicar and is supposedly walking in the way of Christ then banish their own child. I think it's a really interesting thing to examine, you know, in a backstory. Mm, okay. Yeah. It's like, I, I remember this one, but if put on the spot, I that's all I would remember as well. Um, so Felicia, what about you? Okay. So I'm going to preface this a little bit and hopefully won't get too rambly. So when I was thinking about the theme, so here's the deal. So I'm Jewish and one of the weird things about religion is the entire concept of religion, the way we know it is a Christian concept. It's sort of a medieval Renaissance construct that where during the time when the church was sort of separating itself culturally from Western Europe, from European life. So when we're thinking about religion, we're always sort of thinking about it in terms of Christianity, what is secular and what is religious, where even though since we live in a Western culture, the dominant culture itself is Christian. So most romance novels, I would say about 90% or more are Christian themselves, whether they deal with God or faith, they still have cultural Christian characteristics, whether it's views of sex, or whether it's holidays, it's still a culture that I've always been enmeshed in because I live in the real world, but I've always been an outsider with. But one of the books that I felt that really explored Christianity in all of its aspects really well, both as a belief system, as a philosophical system, and as a cultural system, which I found really interesting, was Scarlet Peckham's The Lord I Left. And our hero in there is also a vicar, but he is a true believer, and that often comes into conflict with Henry's owed wants and needs, and he sacrifices for it, and he has to sort of deal with a family who likes the position for the political purposes, but who are often mean to him for his really very sincere faith, where they're willing to accept the cultural parts of it, but not some of the faith-based parts. And then he's paired with a heroine. Alice grew up, her father made organs for churches, and she loved to play the organ. And that sort of connected her spiritually, but she wasn't allowed to play it as a woman. So a lot of the book is about her reconnecting to the spiritual parts of her belief system, and for him sort of allowing some of the rigidity of his beliefs, let him see himself more as he sees his parishioners. And it's a really just lovely, lovely exploration. Yeah, I definitely want to pick back up on the religion as culture theme, because I've been thinking about that a lot, too. But uh, but first, Katrina, which romance novel would you recommend on the theme of religion? So I'm going to preface this by saying I've been like an atheist or questioning my entire life, except for a rebellious period when I became evangelical. Wow. <laughs> um, look, we all have to rebel in some ways. But and then I went to Catholic college. So I've mostly been interested in religion because it seemed like something very foreign from the way that I thought or the way that I wanted to live my life. And so I'm really drawn to like, even when reading like historically, I'm drawn to things that question 
So my recommendation is Sierra Simone Center. So the hero is Sean Bell, who it's the second book in a series. So Priest is the first one. But in this one, his brother, so his brother was a, a pastor. He'd grown up Catholic, but the rest of his family had moved away sort of vehemently from the Catholic Church after the only daughter in the family was uh, killed herself after having been molested by a priest. And so the family, so the entire story of the of both books is really sort of dealing with the sort of repercussions of that. And in this one, uh, Sean's character is very angry at the church, but unable to really deal with that. And his heroine is, she's, uh, uh, look, I don't know these religious terms, let's be real. Um, <laughs> she's about to become a nun. <laughs> and she's his best friend's younger sister. So the, the relationship between the family falls apart after uh, the sister's funeral. So it's like one more thing that he thinks the Catholic Church sort of took from them. And the sister is much younger. And so whatever. So he like falls into this relationship where she's about to sort of take her orders. But before that, she wants to experience sex so that she knows what she's missing to sort of firm up that decision for her and it's this sort of really kind of surprisingly beautiful book where he's dealing with the wreckage of his religious life and sort of what not just his sister's suicide but also the way that the community treated the family after her death and then also and so then the juxtaposition is the heroine whose name is Zinni who is unbelievably optimistic and faithful and also sort of really open to sort of helping him deal with that at the same time as his mother is also dying of cancer. And so he's also dealing with her religious relationship as well. So it's just a kind of surprisingly layered book that has a really lovely grief arc that is around this sort of questioning of, of faith. Mm. So I have not read either Priest or Sinner, but I have listened to the Faded Mates episode about Priest. So I, I feel like I know what the book is about and what the, some of the topics that are explored. And I feel like religion or like f sex and religion in Sierra Simone's books are, it's explored a lot in the context of it being taboo. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'm really. right. So, like, what's the phrase? Like, in polite society, you're not supposed to talk about politics, sex, or religion. It's like all just sort of, I mean, not the politics. So, a little bit of the politics part. But so that, yeah, it's just all bound up in those books. And I, I have to say, priests didn't work for me for various reasons, although I have friends who are Catholic, and for whatever reason, it worked for them. Like, I was like, this feels very taboo. And they were like, yes, I like it. But <laughs> I didn't feel the same way. But yeah, Sinner, it, it sort of deals with taboo sex in a, in a different way. They both are really distinct. Mm. So one thing I was thinking about as the three of you were sharing each of your books was how in a lot of ways we think about religion as a faith, like your relationship with God or gods or, or some sort of like higher being. But what I also heard a lot about was like how religion has become ingrained in cultures, like the traditions of a group of people, how there's sort of like institutional religion. So like the Catholic Church is the prime example of how religion gets institutionalized and dogmatized in these organizations specifically and then i think it's interesting rebecca yours is speaking to religion i mean there's an element it sounds of institutional power and cultural actually because at this time the preacher would kind of be like the center of morality for like perhaps an entire town so it's interesting because all of those things have very little 
to do with a relationship with God, right? Yeah. And I think I haven't read a ton of books that actually feature religion realistically. And not to talk, you know, too much about myself, but I'm going to talk about myself for a minute. (laughs) You know, I was raised by an Episcopal minister and a mother who also is like, you know, very... I won't say big in the church in the sense that, like, you know, Episcopalians, we go to church for like an hour a week. We're not, you know, we're not the four hours a day sort of peeps. But church was like a big deal growing up in my house. And so I think when you do then get into, in romance, for example, issues of things like, and I think also this actually really shapes romance on a whole, right? So Tessa herself today was tweeting about, people not talking about STIs in historical romance, but also how people don't talk about STIs in contemporary romance. And I think one thing that the the church, I say with quotation marks, has done has made conversations around sex that are actually very important, really taboo. And it's very interesting to see how that bleeds into romance as well, where you don't actually have realistic conversations about things involving sex and relationships that actually should happen in healthy relationships work their way into the story. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And I think with the Duchess deal, the heroine is struggling with knowing that she actually like isn't a bad person. She didn't do anything wrong. And if you want to look at like the text, say, Jesus doesn't think she did anything wrong either. So it's really interesting that she is banished by her father and treated as a social pariah for doing things that within the confines of the text she would have actually been forgiven for. So, yeah, I I think it's really interesting to see how actual scripture versus the culture of the church actually affects people's lives like across the board. I think Felicia's point about how all of this is sort of very much shaped by Christianity is also really important too. So I remember a conversation a few months ago where, for instance, people were asking about like sex in Muslim romances Mm -hmm. and Muslim authors were saying, hey, like there are reasons why you are unlikely to see that. And Lord knows I don't remember the exact reasons, but it was this kind of idea that, well, Rebecca's right, there are conversations you can't have or you you don't see authors having, having, but you do see sex, right? So there is the expectation that you can still have like a sort of a romance kind of shaped by religion, but still have space for sex. Otherwise it has to be sweet or, there, or there's even the sort of room for that in Christian romances that you could have this sort of broad spectrum and Muslim authors were saying like hey there are there are reasons why we maybe won't get that broad spectrum or at least maybe like right now we won't get that broad spectrum but that doesn't mean that there's really the place for them in like say the inspirational section as well right which is very much tied to Christianity and also maybe not what those romances are. And I was going to ask Felicia, you know, specifically since you, you know, again, speaking to sort of like the cultural aspects of religion, I think particularly in the United States, like we all live in the US. So this is our experience. And I'll speak from my experience alone. I mean, we have this very like puritanical Christianity based morality that I think that's what makes I think the sex and romance particularly uh, a hot button. And I think it's become like less of a hot button over time. But but like, you know, the basis of that being a taboo, I think starts with a sort of like a religious or institutionalized religion issue with that. But 
it's my understanding that in the Jewish faith and culture, I don't have personal experience with this. I grew up Catholic, which is like the most shamiest of the religions, I think. But <laughs> that Judaism is like more open and less shamey about sex as a culture. So, okay, so a couple things. So let's see. So Judaism, I like to say Judaism is patriarchal, but is patriarchal in different ways than Christianity. And there's usually two things that go on in Judaism, because we have always been a minority living in a majority, and it's usually either a Christian or an Islamic majority. We tended to fare better in the Islamic ones until colonization from the Christian West. That's a whole nother story. But either way, we were always very conscious of the majority culture and made sure that outwardly, even though we usually lived in our own areas, we worked not to offend the majority culture. Like I even remember as a kid, my mom, there's a list of stuff that I was I grew up going to a mostly non-Jewish prep school and there was a list of stuff I wasn't supposed to say around anybody else but our patriarchy is a little bit different it, it isn't about shaming it's there's no Paul Paul isn't part of our textual history so there's none of that stuff none of the celibacy is in there and technically in Judaism the guys have more obligations than women do. So we had a society set up where the guys were supposed to be facilitated in performing their obligations, which were mostly intellectual stuff, studying and things like that. They had that as a job. And then their other job was basically to please their wives sexually. That was like a thing. And if they can procreate, excellent. If not, eh, it happens, which is also why you ended up in sort of these medieval Jewish societies where women worked alongside their husbands and, you know, took care of a home and stuff. So the husband can be facilitated in studying. So again, extremely historically patriarchal, but like a weirdly different patriarchy. And it's just Judaism is is weird in that we're much more ritual and community based than individualistic and faith based. We're always defined by wherever we are. So in the West, people considered us a race, not a religion, till it changed from a very, very active campaign from the Jewish community in the gambit to get more rights for ourselves in the 19th century. But throughout the 20th century, still a lot of Europe considered us a race, even to the late 20th century. Like my friends who were born in the 80s in the former Soviet Union, it was a race there. And there are still parts of the world where it's considered a race. It depends on what the dominant culture defines us as, whether we're religion, a race, or something else. It's funny, because Christianity and Islam actually fit in, are much more parallel to each other than Judaism is to either of them, even though we take a lot of medieval Islamic philosophy and our medieval stuff, and a lot of modern Christian language in explaining ourselves, they're much more structurally similar to each other than they are to us so it's always sort of weird but it's funny but so when you write about judaism and sex especially like say in historical you're going to get a lot of pushback and people are going to say it's anachronistic the attitudes but it's not it's just not christian and we just don't talk about it because people think modest dress and stuff like covering elbows and knees 
means anti-sex and it doesn't it's about different stuff it's right it's not the same cultural meaning as as like a christian cultural meaning yes oh that's so interesting yeah i don't like i don't need a whole bunch of religion in (laughs) in in the romance i read which is kind of why when everyone was like obsessed with priest i guess right after that faded mates episode i was like what what could be so interesting about this and i think part of the reason sinner worked for me and priest didn't was because sometimes when people are writing religious characters they are so sure in their faith and that is personally not relatable to me which isn't to say I can't read it it's just not the same it doesn't affect me the same way and so what I loved about the juxtaposition of Sean and Zinni is that sort of like I I mean there was a lot that I didn't relate to with that relationship (laughs) but that relationship of having someone who is angry and uncomfortable talking about religion and, and what it has done to their life with someone who is sure in their faith, but is not oppressively sure in their faith. So she is just very open to letting him express however he's feeling, but that doesn't one have to necessarily shake her faith. And it doesn't, it's not even, I mean, it's not evangelical either. So there's nothing sort of happening there. So it just feels like there can be that exchange of emotions. And yeah, so I, I really, I liked that part of it well so the sureness but then what i imagine the conflict is in that book is like she can't both be with this man and be a nun right <laughs> like right. she she Pretty can obvious, have all the yeah she can have all the faith she wants but like the way she wants to maybe perform that faith is incompatible right. with like this romantic relationship right yeah And then I also really like that. So that changes for both of them, right? Their relationship with their faith and and with sort of either the personal relationship with God or their relationship to religious institutions, it changes throughout the course of the book, which I also really relate to that idea that right, none of that has to be fixed. I mean, especially because I come from a very distinctly Southern Black Baptist family, and there is a sort of fixity, you know, fixity there that doesn't make sense to me and never did. And so this, the ability to change over a lifetime, I've always found much more interesting. And Felicia, in The Lord I Left, you touched on this, how the heroine in that book, it sounded like she felt, maybe I'm imagining too much here, but that she felt her faith most strongly when she was playing music, but basically was told, no, that's not a thing you can do. Like women can't play the organ in church. And so it was almost like she kind of had this very personal expression of faith that then the institution was like nope can't do it oh yes so yes and no she definitely felt very close to and that was a big rift in her because it was something that she loved that she couldn't do and she also that started sort of a negativity with her towards religion and she ends up she works in a very upscale sex club. Um, oh, it's actually, a pe- it's a yes, that sex club. Uh, that one. <laughs> and so then she's also is seeing 
the negative effects of the judgment on all the people that she works with and that she adores. But in the book, with her, she sort of finds a balance, a sort of a place in her life. Both of them find a balance, a place in their life for belief and what they like about it, but also for their own wants and needs and a more sort of open understanding of the world. Hmm. And and Rebecca, if I mean, if I remember correctly from the Duchess deal, I mean, is that a sort of a similar thing where like the heroine is dealing with the rejection from her father and vis-a-vis the church and kind of reaching a place of being like, my father doesn't decide this for me? Yeah, I mean, she's very... So the Duchess deal is a marriage of convenience story and it's hilarious. But for those who haven't read it, it basically starts off the hero was about to get married he hired the heroine to make his fiance's wedding dress and the wedding never happened so she goes to collect payment on the dress because she made a dress and he on the spot is like hey i need someone to marry me and make a baby for me you'll do (laughs) um and quite hilariously she goes along with it because she's poor and very practical and she's not really caught up in like you know the virtue of the day she's very practical and i actually really appreciated that where she's not sitting here thinking like oh is this the proper thing for me to do she's thinking no this is the reality of my situation and actually marrying this guy is the best thing for me to do so i think she sees her father's rejection and the church's rejection and extension as an opportunity for her to kind of go her own way the best way she can. So, Rebecca, what is something other than romance that's bringing you joy in the pandemic? Binge watching, like, weird stuff. So, like, I binge watched season two of Dawson's Creek. (laughs) (laughs) Only only season Uh, two? (laughs) Well, so season one, Pacey is being statutory raped by his teacher. And I, like, I hate that so much. Season two is when he starts dating Andy and he really shows up to be like the man that we all know and love is Pacey Witter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started watching season two and then I'm also catching up on Schitt's Creek. I, I watched a little bit of it and I've been kind of like pacing myself with that, but I watched a little bit more of that yesterday. So that sounds delightful. I have Dawson's Creek soundtrack like stuck in my head. I had the CD and I must have, I was probably like the season one CD. Did you tweet that they like didn't get rights to the music for the DVD? Right. So, yeah. So, what happened was I think Dawson's Creek went on DVD like maybe like the minute that Blockbuster was like switching over to toying with at home. Uh, it was like, the beginnings of Netflix and everything is all happening at the same time. And a lot of shows didn't get their music rights sorted out. And I think whoever at Warner Brothers or whatever was in charge of Dawson's Creek, I don't think they understood that music rights for DVD and streaming were like going to be a thing. So Dawson's Creek lost the theme song, which is insane. Um, so when you watch Dawson Creek on Netflix or Hulu, you don't get the famous I Don't Want to Wait. It's not there. So they came up with it. They have like some other cheesy song called Running Like Mad or something. And then no. throughout the course of the show, too, a lot, it's like Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy has like so many amazing songs debuted on Grey's Anatomy. 
Dawson's Creek was the same way. So like mm-hmm. really popular songs by like Savage Garden, Sixpence of the Richer. I remember the episode where Pacey and Andy almost have sex. It ends with Dave Matthews' Lover Lay Down. And that didn't make it into streaming either. So about like one or two songs per episode. Like I was watching an episode the other day and one Jessica Simpson song made it in. <laughs> uh, another episode, one song by Jewel made it in. So you have all this like music and then all these great 90s songs that would have been wonderful for like pivotal moments of the show aren't there. Oh my God. What a loss. But yeah. Well, all your music rights, folks. All your music rights. Hopefully somebody's dad has VHS recordings of every episode in a basement somewhere. I had VHS recordings in my parents' basement and then the basement flooded. So oh. those are no viable. So that's all for night six of the Decameron. These episodes will release throughout the next few weeks between regularly scheduled full episodes, so make sure you are subscribed to Shelf Love on your favorite podcast app. You can check the show notes for links to the romances we mentioned, plus where to find my guests. Coming up on future episodes, we will cover themes like history, enemies, and fantasy with even more awesome romance experts. Stay well, take care of yourselves and your community, and keep calm and keep reading romance. Did you know that Shelf Love is part of the Frolic Podcast Network? You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts. 